Am I commanded to love myself? Well, <clears throat> in uh, Matthew 22, Jesus is faced with this question by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Of course, they're looking just at the the details of the law, the uh, the crossed T's and dotted I's. Uh, they're trying to defeat each other in wisdom, but they're also trying to defeat Jesus. And so they say, what's the uh, most important command? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. And then the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's easy to see that this is, um, if you like, a way to... Um, to say we need to love ourselves. Well, of course we we do. It's healthy to uh, to love and accept who um, God has made us to be. So there's no denial of that. But I think it's oversimplifying to say that Jesus is really saying we need to love ourselves. He he isn't. He's saying uh, that the summary of the law is about loving our neighbors as ourselves. In other words, not doing stuff to our neighbours that we wouldn't want them to do to us. Obviously, uh, don't steal, don't kill, um, don't commit adultery, don't don't even covet what your neighbour has. W well, obviously, if, if we do those things, then we're loving our neighbour as we love ourselves because we're not... Um, we're, 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 we're not doing things that we would hate to have done to ourselves. I don't think that this passage really is a, is Jesus turning pop philosophy. I, I think he's answering the question that the Pharisees and Sadducees put to him um, and it's irrefutable. This is, this is the summary of the law that the Jewish people have been working with for the past you know few hundred years because um, it's it's a summary of what what the law actually uh, demands of of each person. <clears throat> but when it comes to self love, why not look at Peter? Uh, he is a man who demonstrates that he wants to do all he can to impress Jesus. He uh, he's the one who'll jump out of a boat to walk on the water with him. He's the one who will um, uh, try to make. Uh, tents and booths on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, he is the, he's the one who equates love to action. And, uh, and while he is uh, right to some degree, um, it's clear that when in John chapter 13, Jesus tries to wash his feet, um, it's, it's clear that although the Bible makes it clear that this is Jesus showing the extent of his love for his disciples. It's obvious that Peter does not get that. He uh, struggles. Uh, you shan't wash my feet. Um, the master shouldn't wash the servant's feet. Um, well, if you're going to wash me, then wash my, wash me head to toe, you know. These are signs that Peter is struggling to accept the love that the Lord Jesus has for him. And it takes until after his denial of Jesus, when they walk by the shore and Jesus once again offends him by saying, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? 
that it seems that something must have sunk in with Peter uh, because he is given this uh, he's, he's given this new command feed my sheep well uh, I don't know a whole lot about sheep but it strikes me that they're quite demanding they do daft stuff like running off onto the road side when they could be in the field they um, get uh, sick you know sometimes just for no reason and they eat stuff that isn't good for them and all these things interesting then that Peter who struggled to accept the love that Jesus had for him is uh, told to demonstrate his love for Jesus his love for Jesus by feeding the sheep in other words looking after the church looking after the people who will follow Jesus and maybe that's just as far as we get with this idea of self-love we've got a proper example in front of us of a man who is greatly used by God uh, in the early days of the church and who glorifies God in his death um, and his life has been turned around by the extent that Jesus love is poured out on him um, do we are we commanded to love ourselves well we're supposed to love ourselves uh, Paul says this in Ephesians of course we love ourselves um, but more than this and this is the healing thing for me uh, we are to understand that Jesus loves us accept that and I believe that we're on a pathway to a new understanding of his life in us Are we in the middle of the greatest conspiracy that's ever happened? Is COVID some kind of laboratory created uh, means of government control? Well, truthfully, we don't know. And there seems to be a great danger in passing the interpretation of events into the crazy chaotic world of the media and uh, to run with a rumour or something that's whispered and to create a whole theory out of this. As Christians, we know that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world are and always have been at loggerheads. Satan is called the prince of this world. But God promises to uh, place all things under the feet of Jesus. So um, we have that wonderful image at the, in the book of Revelation where all the nations, all the kings come and they, they bow before God and even better than this you know we're, uh, we're told that we can expect a crown of righteousness those who are who belong to God through Jesus um, 
they are rewarded with a crown of righteousness. But we don't wear it. We place it before God's throne. This is a wonderful sense of what's really happening in the world. That everything is shuffling towards that end. And that God himself is entirely in control of human history. I love to talk about this because this is my assurance and my absolute knowledge. Uh, reading the Bible and uh, sensing the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in this, that the Lord Jesus tells us, do not fear, do not be afraid. And the conspiracy theorists love to make us afraid. Now, there are a few things that seem true to me. A virus like this, a world event like this, uh, will increase a tendency of government to want to control our movement. Uh, we are going to look at, I would think, there'll be cashlessness in the future. I would think that our... Um, our gadgets and the, the things that, you know, like the phone that I'm presently recording this on, everything will start to record our actions and our movements. There will be a temptation for government to use this to expand control over the population. But don't forget that without Jesus... Satan already has control over, uh, over people. So to put it in perspective, the Bible tells us this. We, we have to have wisdom. And I think we have to have courage. So looking at the future will be wisdom and courage. And it will be the courage to say there is good news. And there is a kingdom which is an eternal kingdom whose king is Jesus. Well, if you'll come with me on that journey, then I think we'll, I think we'll be able to get along. Don't give airtime to the conspiracy theorists. Pick up the Bible prayerfully. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate to you what you need to know today and let's live in the knowledge of that because after all tomorrow is unknown I don't often hear um, sermons about Genesis chapter 11 the Tower of Babel but it always makes me think partly because I love languages and uh, I enjoy the challenge of learning a new language and um, picking up the idiom uh, of people in different places, seeing the way that language shows us how people think. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we might make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Say the people, they used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar the peoples of the earth are highly ambitious and highly capable they come up with new technologies to do and to get what they want and God 
gives them a great compliment. Uh, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So we've got an acknowledgement that people being so capable will be able to achieve anything they set their minds to. Now, obviously in God's mind this is not good because people are not motivated by love of God or love of each other. Maybe love of self. And so he scatters them. And how does he do it? By confusing their languages. And then in Acts chapter 2, at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, suddenly God reverses that by enabling people to hear the gospel in their own languages. And he makes a kingdom of priests forever. This is all highly interesting. And I do keep an eye on the news and just see some things which give me a bit of encouragement. Now, with this COVID business, desperate though it is, uh, there are some glimmerings of hope that um, the nations together will be able to find a uh, common solution. But just look recently at the different accusations that are hurled around the place that there is no commonality of language, uh, that there is suspicion and all of those things. Now, I pray that God will enable us to overcome this COVID thing because for the sake of the church, I really see the, 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 the value and, and for the sake of people. Well, it's, always, it's always the people, the powerless, the poor, who suffer in, in times like this. But I do see something happening, this phenomenon of language mix, of the interrupting nature of misunderstandings that makes me wonder if we as humans, although we're brilliant at finding solutions, the 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 greatest weakness we have is in truly understanding each other's languages. And I, I don't like to give too much credit outside of the Bible, as you probably gathered by now, but, uh, you know, you have people like Wittgenstein, you know, saying, even if the lion could speak our language, we wouldn't understand him. Uh, and isn't, isn't that true? Even if we speak each other's language, we really don't understand the pain of another person or their true inner opinion. Well, I don't think that solves any problems and it probably creates more questions than um, it answers. But to me, it's a fascinating to topic. And uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you think about the Tower of Babel. I think the church will have to become a house church. I can't see us 
having big events in the near future. Now, what we read in the early exchanges in the book of Acts is that the believers did get together. They shared fellowship. They broke bread together. All of these things are going to be difficult to do. Uh, and they prayed. They uh, took communion together. Sorry, I've, I've already said that. And, um, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they did that as an absolute. Th this was a living covenant. The, these were non-negotiables to the early church. The persecuted church, I think, has given us a model of how to live with all the restrictions already in place. So we know that it's possible because God has continued to call people to himself from very difficult places. What we need to do in the future, I think, is not to lose our sense of perspective. We will need to be creative. We might lean on some of this technology, that's for sure. But we're going to also see certain things. I, I think the family is going to become more of a unit of church where parents will take responsibility more for their children's upbringing in Christ. Maybe not their school work and all of that, although that could happen as well. Um, and things like communion, well, it never was a, a sort of a public ceremony. Um, it, it would, communion was always, when the meal was shared, there was one plate, there was the bread, which was a bit like a knife and fork uh, to dip in, and there was one glass, because most people didn't have a set of Ikea glasses or cup glasses or whatever. These things will be changes for us. I imagine that church buildings are going to be more and more difficult to, um, to uh, sustain. But I'd like to think that just like God told uh, Jeremiah to buy a field in the knowledge that one day he'd be able to enjoy the fruit of it, I'd like to think that churches will remain the buildings themselves so that they can be enjoyed in faith in the future. These are just musings. I'd like to know what you think in response. Thank you.